Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. The Eagles season is over. You are not flying high, but you are on the Kist and Solak Show episode 168. Brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game for our last reaction show of the 2019-2020 NFL season. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That is S-O-L-A-K. Ben, it wasn't exactly the playoff experience that we were looking for with Carson Wentz, but Oy. it was uh, an exhausting experience nonetheless. How you doing, brother? Everything is sad. It's delicious, but it's a sad delicious. I feel like we, we ran a marathon. Like That game was exhausting in terms of yeah. just watching the Eagles try to desperately eke out like every single art of all, yard of offense they could. <laughs> Right. Out of the Josh McCown-led six-sack <laughs> Philadelphia Eagle offense. Right, watching watching the running game just slam their heads into heavy boxes on third downs when the Eagles are just trying to, to string together a couple of big plays. Watching the defense just blitz the living daylights out of Russell Wilson, praying that they could get pressure on him. I mean, it was a hard, long, and difficult watch, and it was awfully soured by the absence of Carson Wentz, who just, uh, you don't even know what to say at this point. It's terrible. It's terrible that a player would play that well in 2017, go down with injury, watch his team go to the playoffs, win the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, watch him come back in 2018, struggle with health, eventually go down at the end of the season, and then watch the team come back, make it the playoffs, win a playoff game. And then he finally gets his team to the end of the regular season, and he gets six snaps before it's <laughs> taken away by just like an, an awful, terrible avoidable play like the one that uh, Jadavian Clowney you know enacted on Carson it just it's it was the worst possible way for him to get injured and it was the worst possible way for him to go out of that game and it, it like from like the fan perspective it sucks because the Eagles maybe could have won the game with Carson Wentz in from just a right. simple perspective of like watching football your heart just breaks for this dude it just breaks yeah. for him how talented he is and how many incredible plays he makes because he's so tough, because he's so resilient, because he's so strong, because he's so physical. Uh, and then those few plays that he loses on that end up drastically impacting the course of his season. And now we can say his career, like his career made it to the playoffs once. He seems to have three times. He's played in one out of 24 quarters he should have played in in the playoffs. I mean, it's it's oh. I cannot imagine what that's like mentally for Carson. And he's got to spend now 
a third consecutive offseason, not necessarily in rehab, but sitting, working out, and preparing for a season once again, like with this massive monkey on his back in terms of proving screw screw injury prone. He has nothing to prove in terms of whether or not he's injury prone, whether or not he's he's physical. None of that is real. None right. of that matters. No interest to me and has no bearing on the Jadavian Clowney play whatsoever. But having to prove that he can not only take a team to the playoffs, but be a consistently good quarterback for 20 games in a season. Because even though we have no evidence to the contrary, we have no evidence to the point because he hasn't been able to put it together yet. And that mm. is a dark and heavy cloud to sit over your shoulders. And it gets darker and heavier with every passing year. And like, thank God Josh McCown didn't win this game. Thank God <laughs> for the third year in a row, a backup quarterback didn't win a playoff game for the Eagles because it just would have added. It would have made the cloud bleaker and broader. Right. So, I mean, it, but Carson, you're st- he's still just back where he was wondering what could have been of his season if he were in the playoffs, wondering what he would have done if he got to play a full playoff game. That's That hurts. And it, you, it, it hurts just from a human perspective, just from a, a person who wants to see others succeed, and especially like good guys like Carson succeed. You just, it, you're, oh, it's, like I said, it's a sour taste in your mouth. You feel bad. You just feel bad. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're still rooting for the Eagles at the end of this thing as they get so close, but continuing on the on the Carson Wentz thread because that's going to be the story of the season, and I have asked before because of all the injuries, and then early on in the season with all of the game-winning drops, like at what point does Carson Wentz start to believe like that he's a bit snake-bitten, and you add this into this to where he has to think about it for the entire offseason, and, and, it's, and it's devastating having him ruled out of this game with a concussion, you know, they go grab his wife out of the stands. As soon as Sal Palantonio put that out, I was like, oh, man, like he ain't coming back. And it just a crazy, unfortunate that a dirty hit, and I'm calling it what I think it is. You don't have to agree, but a dirty hit by Jadavion Clowney, that a dirty hit knocks him out of that game, forcing the Eagles to roll with Josh McCown for three quarters and does so admirably for what Josh has got left in the tank. But the, the media response from some people to this was, was something else. You had Josina Anderson doing her stupid nonsense, agreeing with Tori Holt that there's, quote, always something with Wentz, unquote, when uh, she, of course, was the reporter that broke all of the rat on the roster stuff regarding Wentz. I can't do this. I'm reading all the beats in the locker room. Oh, no. What's going on? V-Sad. No. Dave Zangaro, uh, NBC Sports Philly. Boston Scott said that Carson Wentz, after the game, went to each player's locker and thanked them for their contributions this season. Mm, my heart mm. and my face. <laughs> like, continuing, on, continuing on with some of the other... Bad s- media, yes. Bad with the bad... That's good media. This bad media. You got... Pro Football Focus is Sam Monson in total disbelief that he didn't think to bet on Wentz getting injured, which which is just stupid, as if there's something about the construction of Carson Wentz's head that would keep him from being concussed in that situation, as if not every other quarterback in the lead would be impacted by that dirty hit in some form or fashion. So you've got a good amount of dum-dums getting out of pocket during this game while it's going on. Eagles Twitter, of course, did their thing. What I'm trying to say here is that this specific play, and you already alluded to this, that it doesn't fit into the injury-prone narrative. And you can say he's injury-prone if you want, even after a full regular season. If you're basing it on his past, whatever, I don't care. They're just words. They don't matter. I just don't think this has anything remotely to do with that. And I think it's square-pegging a round hole 
told-you-so nonsense from a select group of knuckle-dragging, sewage-sucking dipshits that are pushing the narrative that getting hit by a car makes you a magnet. So, and I mean, I haven't even talked about Brandon Stokely, former wide receiver that unfortunately had to retire after his latest string of concussions, saying that they should have stuck with Foles while Foles missed half the season with an injury and was benched for a UDFA. So anyway, what's the story here beyond Wentz getting hurt? The story is an Eagles team that yet again found the next man up and found a way to stay in the game to a point where it was a four-point game within 846 left in the third quarter to where it's a one-score game. It's a 17-9 to final. They were within eight points. They had two critical fourth downs that they were not able to convert. I agree with Doug on going for them, which we can talk about. But th- this whole thing, staying in, in this game that the way that they did and the way that they fought and the way that they ended the season over the last month plus, right. it is a testament to the players. It is a testament to the coaching staff, keeping them mentally engaged when I'll be honest, you know, forget focusing on scheme in this specific game and all that nonsense. I'm mentally checked out of that myself. And credit to Ben, who I know for a fact didn't check out of that stuff because he was tweeting strategic stuff all game, just totally unfazed by it on. That's where you, that, I mean, like that's, and that's the thing is like, that's where my head is. I don't know. Like, that, it, that might be a problem. Well, when, when, when Wentz went work. down with the, with the ACL injury, you that game you you were you were the same way and and it's a credit to my managerial skills as a producer of yeah Indiana, it's, it's being probably honest. because of you let's be very frank now <laughs> I like my thing is you know like I, I guess when you're in the moment it's like well what's 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 next you know what I mean and like I guess the question I ask myself is like if I like if you're calling the game you would want to be able to hypothesize to the listeners and viewers what should they expect yeah. from the Eagles now that you know you lose your starting quarterback what's the plan. My plan was Greg Ward, which is like mostly for fun. <laughs> but like honestly, I thought like would have been would have been a good plan. Well, you saw from McCown, and we had a lot of out of breaking stuff with him, right? I mean, tight yeah. ends, twelve to fifteen yards, uh, uh, outside. McCown had a live arm; he had to pop to it. You said you said he's throwing with the force of a thousand suns. There, he was slinging a pill around the yard a little bit. Uh, it's fun to see for the uh, the four year old young man getting over the hill, as it were. Not a young man, I guess, a middle aged man. Because he has the velocity to hit those, and then. Uh, uh, you know, Seahawks did very much so what they were trying to do in the first game, which is they're just going to take away your in-breaking stuff. They have those two really good linebackers that talked about sinking uh, uh, underneath all those intermediate breaking routes. So throw outside against leverage. So I thought the Eagles did a good job with that, with McCown. They they were definitely, I think, got too conservative play calling with McCown and had to get out of that. I think they did a better job in the fourth quarter, even coming out in the third with a couple passes. Yeah. When they first put McCown in the second, they were like, all right, we're running the ball and calling screens. Like, we're, right. we're, we're scared. And... Yep. Sure. The nice thing about halftime is it gives you time to to circle your wagons, gather your horses, make a plan moving forward. Um, but so I thought at first they were too tepid with McCown, and I was like, this is not good because this is not going to be a one-score game forever, and it wasn't. But so they came out, and they were willing to get aggressive with him. Now, what they lost when McCown went down was rollouts. Completely left the yeah. the, uh, the, play, the play calling, and that was a big deal because, number one, a lot of their runs in the first quarter – first half were setting up play action rollouts they were running jets a jet motion constantly they're running just traditional wide zones so you were looking for split zone rollouts and you were looking for for uh whatever it's called for for three level flood off of a weak boot and that's where carson was going to be successful with mccown for whatever reason because mccown's not a bad athlete we saw him keep his own read for 11 yards yeah. uh but they didn't want him doing that. And that was a problem because McCown's pocket presence has been booty. Like when he was young, it was booty. You know what I mean? Like this isn't is like an old guy thing. Like his, he, he chills in the pocket forever. He's constantly trying to make the first guy miss the second guy miss, you know, hold the ball for four seconds, crazy plays. Like that's who McCown's always been. And 
they needed with two backup linemen in, and with a player with that poor of pocket presence, you needed to get him outside of the pocket. You needed to get him into a situation where he wasn't going to be under duress after his first progression. Because again, with your limits at your wide receiver position, your first progression wasn't going to be open that often. They gave him the first progression stuff to the tight end, which he had the first progression stuff to the running back, which like big drop from Miles Sanders. He got a couple good passes out of Boston Scott though. You know, so like he was working that stuff well, but you had to, if you wanted to get deeper down the field, you needed to get him outside of the pocket. In my opinion, that was something I was hoping that they were going to do and they were unable to do. The other thing about McCown, which was a big deal was that he drastically limited the Eagles in the red zone. And he limited the Eagles in the red zone because he's not a quick processor. He's a slow processor who needs to do work pre-snap. So the Eagles couldn't throw guys wrong in the red zone. They had to get into the looks they wanted to get into, into those short areas before the snap and that's really really difficult to do you need to basically guess right like you need to just get the defense in a bad look by happenstance it's not something you can easily create for yourself so the Eagles had to settle for a field goal they had the delay of game penalty which led them to settle for another field goal and then they had the two fourth downs including the fourth and seven where or on the third and 15 beforehand or I think it was second and 15 like he had Ertz breaking open on the goal line like it would have been a leverage throw it would have been you know, a, a, a bullet throw against the sideline, but that's like a throw Carson's willing to attempt because I think he has the requisite anticipation. McCown doesn't have that anticipation, so it really limited them in the red zone. The offense came to a screeching halt pretty much once they got inside the 30 and you kind of felt that that area condensed. So obviously, we talk about in the red zone, there's no room behind the goal line. You can't stretch the defense, can't move the safeties because there's, there's nowhere for them to go. So we're looking at uh, a player who was limited in terms of his pocket management, he obviously had some great escapes and some extended plays, but also took six sacks uh, and then was limited in terms of his uh, mental processing down the field. And accordingly, you know, it was, all right, we can throw a guy open on a 13-yard flag route and then we'll throw him open. But if we don't have that, we really don't have much behind like our swings, our Dallas Goddard sit route, our flag routes. Like, we're, we're just trying to like build an offense out of three parts here. So it was limited. And that's why I was, I was ho- really hoping that they would potentially get something out of Greg Ward because with Ward, you can just go and run read option you can just go and run like tag bubble off a read and let ward win in space and you can give seattle something they objectively did not prepare for and what's really cool is with mccown's experience and ward's position wide receiver you can go no huddle out of the wildcat (laughs) technically right and like the thing is could you get the play calls in probably not so you really couldn't like on that short of notice but you could like you know that that uh, obviously is like the fourth and seven. They took it down to the two minute warning. I was hoping they wouldn't because the two minute warning was going to give you a timeout if you didn't get it right. Now obviously you have to worry about Seattle being able to pass it, and not worrying about the two minute warning. But Seattle passed it anyway. Regardless, I was hoping they were going to hustle to the line, put Greg Ward and quarterback run quarterback power in fourth and seven. That's a good a chance to play as anything else you got, you know. And so so I would have liked to have seen them have that package. But obviously you can't prepare for what you don't know is going to happen. And you don't know Carson's going to go down that early and what you're going to have to do with it. So the passing game became limited. It was already limited to begin with. They ran the ball well. They ran the ball well. They got some explosive plays. Matt Pryor, I think, is a a good long-term depth piece for this line. I'm really impressed how he plays in the interior. Sanders had a good game running the ball. Scott had a good game running the ball. That went according to plan. Only so much running offense can do for you when it's Josh McCown throwing to Shelton Gibson. You're kind of (laughs) hog-tied there as far as it goes. Yeah, the big big pass interference drawn by Shelton Gibson, a.k.a. the, the, the best deep threat on the Eagles, apparently, in this game. But Josh McCown, 18 for 24, 174. I mean, he had a respectable game. And you mentioned the running game. Miles Sanders, 14 for 69. Boston Scott, 6 of 25. Josh McCown scrambled for uh, 5 of 23. Well, 11 of it wasn't a scramble. It came on the uh, on the read option. And Greg Ward toted it once for three yards. 
And as you kind of look around at like the receiver, you're like, they're, they're, they didn't have the splash play capability like you mentioned. I'm interested in your thoughts on the fourth and four with 625 left in the fourth quarter. It's 17 to nine. The Eagles are looking for a score. Um, I think people are going to look at this failed conversion attempt and say that, you know, based off results, that it was a bad decision. But I figure, you know, the Eagles figure you're only going to get so many trips down in that area of the field with Josh McCown at quarterback. You need to make the most of them. And it's always been, you know, Doug's aggressiveness, and he didn't change it here. And I have no problem with that. And, and what happens is the Eagles get exactly what they want. They got Miles Sanders out in the flat. Zach Ertz, you know, does his job on the rub route and whatnot, and the defender's late getting over. I thought McCown was a little bit late on the throw. The throw was on the back hip, not out in front, a little bit low. Miles Sanders also should have caught it as well. Plenty of blame to pass around, but I don't think the blame lands on the coaching staff on this one. I thought it was a good decision. In a must-win game, you got exactly what you wanted. Execution was just lacking a little bit from, you know, Right. You got your backup quarterback in there, and 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 your rookie running back drops it. This is there's an eight point ball game. It ain't right. like this is like four or five or two field goals, does it? Yeah. You know what I mean. This is an eight point ball game. You score a field goal, you still need a touchdown to do anything. Obviously, you don't need the two point conversion. You'll take the lead, but you still have to get into the end zone. And the thing is, with this team and with McCown's red zone limitations, you don't expect to get into the end zone easily. So you have to take every shot you can when you're close. Yep. I, I thought fourth and four was the right call. Obviously, fourth and seven was the right call. And I thought, play design-wise, when they came out, tra- uh, Trey to the right, nub tight end with the back to that side. I mean, everybody and their mama knew. This is a front back swing. And, you know, <laughs> they came out in the same formation. On the next one, obviously, they ran the flare. It was, it was the flat route. But they've, they've been doing that that running back to the, to the open field, swinging them into space. For the past few weeks now, it was something that, that you know, I, uh, I wrote about before the game. So we knew it was coming. Jadavian Clowney ends up being the drop player because of how Seattle's rushing. Great right. news. If you're able to put that ball over Clowney, which is the ideal placement for that throw, touchdown. McCown goes behind, and Sanders feels like he has to catch it while accelerating to make sure Clowney misses him, probably trying to make sure he picks up that first down. Can't blame him for it. It's, it's a tough catch. The, mm-hmm. the throw location is a debate, and then, you know, it ends up being a drop. So inches of execution, miles of results. You know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of, we, we, we know the Eagles are prone to high leverage drops this year. So <laughs> like all in all, the offense wasn't good, but like you found yourself shrugging, you right. know, like what are you going to do? What is there to do at this point? <laughs> Nobody thinks the play calling was prohibitively bad. Nobody's like, if they called different plays, they would have won. I mean, yeah. I believe that with the Greg Ward option stuff. But besides that, right, um, right. nobody's out here saying Josh McCown was like, you know, Nate Peterman level bad coming right. out of backup or something. I mean, he was what he was going to be. You just knew the offense wasn't necessarily going to be winning the game for this team once Carson went down. Then it became a matter of the defense, which obviously defense only gave up 17 points, but uh, played a certain, you know, they... They play cover zero again. Let's talk about the defense when we come back from break here on the Kist and Solak Show. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 168, SB Nation, Bleedy Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, I told you before the break that I, I wanted to talk about the defense, so let, let's talk about it. Maybe uh, bring up a, a sore spot for a lot of Eagles fans, because a guy that both me and you really liked coming into the draft, I'm not trying to dunk here, just saying like I, I think a lot of people really liked DK Metcalf. Metcalf ends up with 160 receiving yards, mm-hmm. the most by a rookie in a playoff game in the Super Bowl Era obviously has the 53-yard touchdown, which is around midfield, which we told you about on the preview shows. Pre-snap motion looked like a bust, and it looked like another case of the Eagles having issues adjusting their coverage to that motion. It was just, I don't know what exactly the coverage they were trying to run, but it looked weird. It's been an issue for them all season. And of course, uh, DK ends up eating them up for the for the majority of the game and has the, you know, cover zero at the end of the game throw it up and based on the rules that the Eagles had in coverage, you know, either first in, first out or whatever the rules were, Marcus Epps draws DK Metcalf in coverage, which let me tell you, we know exactly how that's going to end up. So they're able to close the game out that way. Uh, Ben, your thoughts. Here's the thing. And like, I cannot believe I'm going to say this. Here's the thing about running a cover zero blitz on third and 10 with one timeout left with the game and the season on the line. Hmm. It just doesn't seem like a great idea, Mike. <laughs> they gave up so they had so many situations, second and fifteen, third and fifteen, all these different situations, and, and somehow they 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 managed to blow them in the most frustrating ways, Ben. I just ah. The Eagles came into today saying we are gonna run man coverage. We're gonna mm-hmm. run man coverage and we're gonna be plus one in the box. And the Seahawks running backs had 17 carries for 19 yards. So yep. check number one. In terms of what we need to do to win, we have to stop the running game. Of course, Russell Wilson had multiple scrambles that went for chunk gains and first downs. So we don't count those. All right, those aren't real. What's real in the running game is the running backs. 17 carries for 19 yards win. Yep. If you're going to be single high, your corner is going to be isolated on the outside. You can play cover three. Your corners still tend to get burned on the outside given the technique that you teach them and given the, the physical limitations that they have. So Eagles play cover one man. They get burned. Get burned on the outside mm-hmm. consistently. They try to rotate safeties down to get simulated pressure with five or with six. They burn deep. Seattle's got backup offensive linemen in at center, left guard, and left tackle. Yeah. Eagles immediate win with Fletcher Cox on the first drive. Seem to be able to Vinnie Curry wins on Jamarco Jones first drive. Right. Seem to be able to be getting pressure with four. Brought five and six all night. I don't know why. I don't. What I do know is that once you were there lean into it and in the third and fourth quarter the eagles gave up a massive touchdown to dk metcalf 
almost gave up another massive play to Metcalf when he got burned by Jalen. Uh, he burned Jalen Mills on double move. But generally, we're able to get sacks on Will, uh, a sack on Wilson. They were able to get QB hits on Wilson that led to incomplete passes. They obviously mm. stopped the running game, which the Seahawks were going to be married to. It was throw the kitchen sink at Wilson. Uh, Collinsworth did a good job identifying, you know, Jenkins would be in coverage over Hollister, be a QB spy over Russ, and would occasionally free blitz when he knew he had an alley. Forced right. the issue. The Eagles very clearly were going to do everything they could to move Russell Wilson off his spot and to keep him off tempo. Now, And it's something that worked for them in Week 12. It's something right. we talked about in the preview show. We saw it, and it was effective at certain spots. Now, why couldn't you do it with four? This is your first question. Right. You've been blitzing more this year than you ever have before. You had Brandon Graham intermittently on the field. Like, he was on the field in, like, you know, like, uh, third quarter. He was there in the fourth quarter. Like, he wasn't, you know, he was not 100% probably, but he was out there. You had Fletch. You had Timmy Jernigan. You had Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, Vinny Curry. You didn't have the depth of defense tackle you wanted. Obviously, you haven't since week one. Malik Jackson went down. But you had the, the, the two deep basically that you wanted you had to start in four for sure you're supposed to be able to get pressure with four you haven't been able to do so all season you i shouldn't say that you've been blitzing more consistently all season than you ever have yep. before yep 19th in blitz frequency which is way higher than schwartz has been in the past few years right so then now you're you're the, this is what you need to generate this pressure okay well then you're coming with heat and you're coming with heat and you're coming with six you're coming with five man coverage on the back end you're getting third and nine third and ten completions 19 yards to malik turner on a dig route yeah, he's going to snap off your slot corner. Maddox and LeBlanc are, are, are good players, but they lose. You got Metcalf, 53-yard touchdown on a, on, on a second and long play-action shot, right where Seattle likes to take their play-action shots. You yep. rotate the safety down, you're in cover zero. And then, you know, so all of this to say, they're doing it. Occasionally, they're getting the sacks and the hits necessary to stop drives. They're clearly tightening up when they get to the, the, the red zone as well. They have a blocked field goal, you know, so on and so forth. Right. You get to third and 10, and you finally arrived at the play in which a sack doesn't really actually make anything better right. than an incompletion. It yeah, does. It's the same thing. Right. You still it's like have six yards of field position. It doesn't one matter. timeout. <laughs> Seahawks will still be punting from deep in their own territory. You'll still be getting the ball back with basically the same amount of time. You yeah. have finally arrived at the play in which it is just as good to get an incompletion as it is to get a sack in terms of game scripting. And you sell out. And you, and you end house. up and you end up with Marcus Epps on DK Metcalf. And not only do you bring the house, you so clearly are bringing the house. <laughs> right. And Marcus Epps like does not even know. And like Cravon LeBlanc's gotta be like, get the over here. We're two over three right now. Yeah. We need you in man coverage. Please come here. You By third way, string safety we picked up from the Minnesota Vikings after we covered Anderson Dejo. Cover DK Metcalf. We need you. Yeah. By the way, you're reading three and you're also checking two for vertical and you're taking two vertical. Like all that information is being disseminated to him as he's coming over. Yeah, <laughs> we we finally got to the play to run picket fence. We finally arrived. That's what's just amazing. Is like situ- we, as mind. we know with Schwartz and end of game situations, situationally, he just makes the weirdest decisions <laughs> at the ends of halves. Just yeah. perplexing. This has been bad all game. Yeah, it's been good occasionally. This has been inconsistent all game. All you want here is an incompletion or an eight yard completion to tackle. A sack, like a sack, is obviously better than a completion. I give you that, but really, it's not. This is this is the least impactful a sack will be on any given play in the game. Yeah, brother. So yes, the Eagles suffocated the Seahawks' rushing attack, and 
Russell Wilson said, I will take your second and 18 slot fades, uh, Tyler Lockett versus Cravon LeBlanc. Thank you kindly. Because why not? I'm the best deep passer in the league, and you're giving me one-on-one coverage with no safety help. I'll take it. I mean, I don't know why they weren't taking it we more. We spent 35 minutes talking about scheme on the Eagles defense, Seahawks offense podcast that we should have known, but just never, ever come to fruition. Ben, do you want to go to three words, or you have anything else to add? Or Jake Elliott has ever missed a field goal. I knew that was going to be something. I pr- I'm sure that's in a three words somewhere. Imagine not being the top and only scorer for your team in the playoffs. <laughs> You'd have to be a Bears fan with Mitchell Trubisky to imagine that. All right, so let's go to three words. We're going to, every week after the game is over, we ask for three words from you, gentle listeners, to describe this game. So let's let's go to this and see what the gentle listeners have to say. Uh, first off, uh, we'll go to at Matthew underscore pool 30. He says, sympathize with Wentz. And then he has a whole paragraph. Matthew, you can't do that. And I'm only reading this to show an example to the listeners about how you do not do three words because we will not read these responses on the show. He says, played his bleep off down the stretch, deserved a playoff appearance only to have it ruined by Clowney. And there's no doubt going to be a bunch of hot takes about how he's injury prone, despite the fact that it's a concussion, which is completely out of his hands. I agree. A concussion is totally different than tearing your ACL or, or you know, breaking a collarbone as was happening. If you ask Indiana Danny Kennel, Kennel, Canal. Oh, boy. Right. Then Carson Wentz just has a soft brain. <laughs> this is the take. He was like, not all brains are the same. Thank you, I Daniel. Mean, every brain is a snowflake. That's what we got out of that. <laughs> every and brain for- is a snowflake. <laughs> well, because it's a long show where every brain is a snowflake. Ryan Jones, 0805. So very proud. Yeah, Honestly, yep. yeah. Yeah. Did I, I mean, love this season? No. <laughs> but like at the end of the day, hard fought. Hard fought last December and hard fought game in, in January against a good Seahawks team. A Seahawks team that was, you know... A pass interference call away from being the third seed in the NFC, from being the division champion in NFC West. Can you imagine thinking we'd be here after the Miami Dolphins right, lost? Right, exactly. What if I told you, you know? Yeah. Um, with all the injuries they've had that have only gotten worse. For instance, Joe Simpson at Sad Jedi Shark says butts for injuries. Yes, I like the I like exactly. the keeping the, the butts trend going here. So that's good. We had to have some fire Jim Schwartz in here, right? I'm sure someone said it. At Alex Arizzo, at Jay Arizzo yeah. says fired Jim Schwartz. I've got I don't a, think he's uh, going to get fired. I don't think Mike Rose is going to get fired. That's my feeling on this. Okay, right now, we're going to say this on three, and it probably won't be at the same time as the as the thing, but we'll say it so that we don't know, we don't know what we're talking about. Who's right. more likely to get fired? Mike Rose, Jim Schwartz, on three, after three. One, two, three, name. One, two, three, Mike Rowe. Rowe. Okay. Wow, okay. Okay, okay, so we're there. Right. we're there. We're there, we're there, we're there. Jimbo's not getting fired. This defense is really good at home, and half of your games are at home. And so this defense is really good half of the time. And so we'll survive. It would be nice if we got some new players for the defensive back seven, though, maybe. Just as a hypothetical, just as a something, just as an I don't know, just as, you know, a potential, just maybe, for sure. Please. Vincent Panetta talking about what we were talking about at Panetta Mass saying third in Metcalf. Man, Metcalf is a a full-grown deer. It'd be very interesting how the seasons would be different. And look, I love Jay Jaw, and I think Jay Jaw will end up uh, being okay. I think there's a, I think there's a shot at that. Some receivers take longer to develop. 
DK Metcalf did not need all of that time to develop. I cannot is, tell you God, how man. emotional I was getting when they were cutting to Peterson at the end of the game calling the plays, and you just saw J-Jaw behind him in like one of those giant jacks with his helmet on, kind of being like, I'm ready, coach. And yeah. don't be like, yeah, you're not getting a snap in this game there, fella. Yeah, yeah. he um, had like one catch and it was wiped out because he was short of the first down, and then he had to, had to hold the yeah, call. He's been banged right. up for the past couple of weeks and whatnot. So. Well, I mean, I don't even know at this point, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, <laughs> there, we're, we're on to year two with J-Jaw. I have no idea what you even build on at this point but we've tried to build on something also andrew at 70 cal 89 asked who to fire i think mike and i both agree that the eagles would benefit best from a change in the offensive coaching staff i think you can expect changes at the wide receiver coach for sure i think quarterback coach is also definitely on the table in terms of press taylor um and if you really want to make a mover and a shake here uh then then yeah i would expect mike grow to be the play the the coach most likely to be moved on from josh mccown is he your quarterback coach if he wants it yeah like i said if so, Collinsworth said in the broadcast, and I want to go back and find this, that yeah. McCown was a large part of the offensive ideology, uh, philosophy shift, I should say, where he was like, Carson, it's okay to take checkdowns, take your checkdowns, take them early. If that is like true, mm. absolutely, because oh, yeah. that was the biggest and most important change for Carson Wentz was, was the running back targets. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Shane Half at half and half, Peters, please retire. Yeah. So, Jason Peters, um, looked washed. Yeah, he's old, and it's time. Uh, I would expect him and Kelsey to both retire. I think Kelsey's also looking at potentially retiring, which is disappointing because Kelsey played out of his mind in the last few weeks of the season. He's still such a delight. I mean, he's a first-team all-pro. Maybe you don't retire after your first-team all-pro. Maybe you wait until you, you really <laughs> fall off relative to your peers. Um, But I would expect Peters to retire. I would expect Dillard to step in, and I think the Dillard pick illustrates that that's the Eagles' expectation as well. At Dietlov Comrade, okay? Jello Puddin is his is his username. Should have kept Foles. <laughs> Had to know this one was coming. Had yep. to give it credence. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Foles had come into this game? Firstly, Eagles would have won by 30. Secondly, <laughs> I honestly think Carson Wentz would have retired. All right. I just, you know what? I've had enough of this. I, I tweeted out if, if, if McCown wins this game, Carson Wentz is going to go to hiding. Just like he... Don't even. Don't, I would just go live in a cave in North Dakota and hunt pheasant and whatever else he hunts for the rest of his life, just because it's not worth going through all of this again. Right, and it would. It would. Yeah, that would be a lot of arguing. Speaking of which, Alyssa B at a Bauer of ninety one. Oh says, no, this was going to be my final line. I'm say, jealous. Well says done. let's all argue, and that's what everybody's got to pick a weapon. You know, it's a it's a disappointing end to, end to the season. We get it. We have eight months until preseason to yell at each other. To have all the draft takes and then all the free agent takes and why didn't how we sign this guy? Why didn't he sign that guy? And this is why, you know, we're sneaking into the playoffs and, you know, we're wasting Carson, all blah, 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 blah or, you know, Carson's injury prone and blah, all, all this, all this other stuff. Like, I'm least looking forward to that. I, I, I am going to enjoy the playoffs. The playoffs have been excellent. If you didn't have a good time during Houston and Buffalo, you don't have a damn pulse. Because that was some of the most electrifying, both good and bad quarterbacking I've ever seen on planet Earth. That was amazing. Let me tell you right now, Seahawks Green Bay is going to be a fun football game. And if we get ourselves some snow, (laughs) listen, Seahawks and Green Bay have met a lot in the playoffs over the last decade or so. And they've been fun games. That's going to be a hoot and a holler. Uh, I hope Minnesota gets pantsed by uh, San Francisco. I I very much expect them to. Would not enjoy Vikings in the NFC Championship game again. So, on that. Was it pass interference? Offensive pass interference? On in Rudolph? These, in the Saints, yeah, Rudolph. You're asking me two separate questions here. Was it offensive pass interference? 
And should the call have been re- reviewed? And should the call have been reversed? Three separate questions. One, yes, it was offensive pass interference. Uh-huh. Two, should have been reviewed? Yes. Three, yes. should have been reversed? No. Why? Well, I agree. I agree. Because <laughs> that happens all the f- time. Yep, and just there's... because the Saints complained about it last year doesn't mean they get the benefit of it this year. And no one even knows what anything is. Because Jacob Hollister, like, tapped Malcolm Jenkins on the head and got called for OPI, which, like, really didn't have the same impact on the play or the game, obviously. I agree. Nobody knows what's real. Everything is stupid. Josh McCown threw a ball that didn't even land in the screen, and Trey Flowers got called for offensive pa- for defense pass interference on Greg Ward. I have no idea what this penalty is. Every penalty that gets addressed during the offseason by the referees gets more confusing in the subsequent season, which right. is a whole different discussion. But anyway, speaking of which, roughing the passer yeah. in this game was also completely unintelligible. All over the place. All right. over the place. Um, which we got, and we would be not, we were remiss not to mention, we got Clowney keep, Cheap Shot, Clowney is Dirty, Jadavian Clowney, Cheap Shot Clowney. <laughs> um, and look, I'm not saying that Clowney is a dirty player. I'm calling it a dirty hit. I but here's my thing with dirty player. That's, ex- that's excessive that happens when, all the when time with them. other players ge- with general consensus point out an, a player as a dirty player, I'll be like, okay. Hmm. But like, the camera catches... Five percent of what happens. Yeah, the angle is awful. He clearly meant to make contact with Carson Wentz. Was he in his head like, "Let's go concuss a dude"? I don't right. think so. Yeah. Right, and like, but I don't know. Right? You're all jacked what, up for a playoff like, game. You're trying to make a play and whatnot, right. and things. You know, what I do know is speed. this: we've made distinct efforts in two separate factions of jurisdiction here on football plays to one protect quarterbacks mm-hmm. and two protect heads. Now. The quarterback aspect of this is tricky. Carson Wentz had become a runner. He had tucked the football. He was being tackled by another dude. He was not, you know, in terms of legislative purposes for the referees, a quarterback. He was a runner. Yeah. Now, when we go to the head aspect of the thing, this is where you're like, my man clearly lowered the crown of his helmet to go hit another dude in the head who was falling over. Yeah. This is what we. This is what we're supposed. This is this is what we're trying to get rid of here. And who um, knows? It might not be malicious, right. but that might just be a technique thing with Clowney too, because Clowney does tend to lead with his head. I mean, we saw it when he smacked up Nick Foles last year. That's just kind right. of how he is. And so, and that's the thing. And so, like, is that a dirty player? Like, I don't really know. I think I, I, I would need to, you know, and like, there's a lot of things. Where it's like, oh, you never played at the NFL level. Well, I think that's the thing you have to defer to players to, because there's a level of physicality that's accepted in the game, and then there's a level of like after the whistle physicality that's accepted in the game and then there's like too far and and that's not a line that's easy for me to draw sitting on my couch patting my my chubby belly <laughs> drinking my iced tea and, and judging people yeah. um that's the thing with the clowny hit for me now what i think is important from a larger scope is clowny concussed wentz and wentz was out for the remainder of the game on top of that concussions are dangerous to humans concussions are dangerous to people and so this is where you say independent now of Carson Wentz was a quarterback, but he became a runner and he's a big quarterback and he did this and he was falling down. The plays that end in concussions should be penalized. Obviously you can't wait until you know that there's a concussion and then throw the penalty flag. But if our overall objective is player safety, then when we end up with a plan of concussion, because one player hit another player in the head with the helmet, those are the plays that we want. We should, we should be penalizing dirty. I'm not going to, legislate on i can't i don't think I, I can do so fairly i've watched Derek barnett take the absolute face mask off of aaron jones in week four you know what i mean and then i hope that Derek barnett sacked quarterbacks for the next 12 weeks right is Derek barnett a dirty player or i mean Derek barnett's player got it... a lot of personal fouls on his roster right now 
<laughs> and bad timing too. And, and and that Jones hit was, I mean, vicious. Or was it? It might have been Jamal Williams. I can't remember. Either way, yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know. I I struggle with categorizing players as dirty without without our other players, yeah. NFL players, kind of you know uh, initially supporting that that claim. Um, so we got a lot of anti clowny Makes sense. There was oh, so right. Let's all argue was a good one. We got a McCown is forty with big question marks. I also thought McCown was in his thirties. McCown in his forties is crazy. And then yes, uh, Patrick Meredith is the last one I wanted at P Meredith seventy seven. Interesting off season ahead. I agree. Mm. Fascinating off season for Philadelphia. We, how much do you want to blow up the coaching staff? Right. How, what, what, what are the decisions you make with the different contracts, and how do you you manage the cap moving forward? And how ownership, do you add right? And- ownership, general manager, and head coach, right. could come out exclusively with a run it all back messaging mm-hmm. and have like a really good basis for that. This right. team won four of the last five games. They made the playoffs. They won the division. They were super unhealthy for the whole season. I think they were 31st in adjusted game loss, by the way, by the time the regular season ended. I'm, I'm pretty sure. They were definitely like bottom three, bottom four. Right. Run it back. Get Deshaun. Get Malik. Lane. Get Nelly. Get Alshon. Get insert names here. Yeah. Let's go play some football. Look how hopeful people were being like, oh, if we get Deshaun back, that changes everything. What if we had Deshaun for a whole season? How right. how does you know how much more how much more do we need to change if we're that much of a competitor in the playoffs with Deshaun? Like th- how much actually needs to change when you lose all literally, literally all of your skill position players and then Zach Ertz is basically out there with a broken rib and a lacerated kidney and Miles Sanders is out there with a sprained ankle and you're in a one score game with your franchise quarterback out you know at, at least with the bottom of the roster stuff I think the Eagles are doing pretty well at that i'm interested to see what they do at the starting positions especially cornerback because we know jim schwartz loves jalen mills and other players that we don't necessarily love and we know he has decision making authority over who stays and who goes that we don't necessarily love so that'll be interesting to watch as well joe simpson at sad jedi shark you can't do two, i can't joe. watch this josh mccown press conference okay i'm fine sorry go ahead at Sad Jedi Shark, Joe Simpson. It's his second response. We don't like you do one. Give us one three words. But because these are his three words, and I'm counting an ampersand as not a word, love Kiston Solak. So all that, love that. You'll always get that read on the air. Ben, uh, anything else before we get out of here on the last recap show of the 2019, <sighs> 2020, 20 season? You raised in your hand. What do you got? I, it was a heck of a ride. I left it all out there. I know that much. <laughs> I had a really great time playing for the Eagles. I'm Does that just, count? Yes, and it's in my face. It's in my eyes. It's in my nose. Okay, it's gonna cry. Yes, Jeff Mosher, Mosher, uh, Inside Birds, ESPN, just asked Jason Peters how long it takes him after the season ends to make a decision on his future. Future, he said he's definitely playing next year. Oh, brother, come on! Like, <sighs> like he was he was good for spots this season. I can't imagine him making it through another one. I mean, he's yeah, he's a free agent. Dead money that'll accelerate probably, but he's he's a free agent. He's he's not on the roster right now for twenty twenty. So we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, anyway, those decisions, yeah, right. So there's a lot of offseason stuff ahead. I think that there's a basis for run it back, and there's clearly a basis as well for let's make changes on the coaching staff, let's make changes on the roster, let's be aggressive in the draft. So yep. we're gonna see what happens. First thing and foremost thing, getting through your exit interviews, and then starting to look at changes in coaching staffs, and as Coaching staffs get blown up. And as you know, Jason Garrett just got fired. Kellen Moore's on the market. Let's go get ourselves a Kellen Moore. You know what I mean? Like you you started out watching the coaching market, but don't be afraid to make aggressive moves. Which, which holy heck, uh, Kellen Moore over Mike Rowe 
100 times out of 100. Kellen Moore over Mike Grow, and I'll be able to get into the Eagles facility whenever I want. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I dropped my pass. I'm like, no worries, Kellen, hop on in. <laughs> Frick yeah, Kellen Moore. I'll never say a bad thing about him. That's my promise. Kellen Moore, friend of the podcast already. Yep. Now, he's still employed by the Cowboys. Just on this thought alone. <laughs> Kellen Moore, friend of the podcast. Listen, it's going to be an active offseason, and it's going to start soon. And so Mike and I, with, with the post-game recap show here, Mike and I, with the post-game film analysis when the All-22 comes out, expect that Tuesday, probably into Wednesday. But then it's the offseason, and we don't go away. Uh, if this is your first year listening to the Kist and Solak show, oh, I hope we did you justice. I hope we did you well. Uh, I hope that whoever recommended us, I hope that whatever avenue you found us through uh, was satisfying and was just, and that you learned by uh, listening to the show, you enjoyed listening to the show, you watched the game a little bit differently, and we hope you'll be back certainly next year for our season schedule. But the offseason is where we like to do a lot of our bread and butter. We're two draft guys, we're two offseason guys, we're two player evaluation guys. So as the Eagles step into their offseason, you'll hear playoff prep from us, you'll hear analysis on the NFC, the AFC playoff games, prepare for the C- the Super Bowl. You'll hear Senior Bowl reaction stuff as we're both down in Mobile in a couple weeks. You'll hear combine stuff, you'll hear draft stuff. You'll hear preparation for free agency and for trades as we open the new league year in March 14th. We are rife, I'm saying rife, with football content over the next few months. So we're going to be here. We hope that you stick with us as well. If you've enjoyed the show over the season, go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts. If you have things you'd like to hear in the offseason, we always love to open up this call, and I'm sure we'll do it more formally in the next upcoming episodes. But if you have stuff you want to hear in the offseason, if you have stuff you want to see in the offseason, we're always available. The DMs are open. The ads are there on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, at NFL. Let us know, and we want to do that to you. That's what, they pay us the big, they, that's what they pay us the big bucks for, is to do those things for you guys. So that would make us very happy. We hope it would make you happy as well. For the final post-game time this season, he's been Michael Kist. I've been Benjamin Solak. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you in the middle of the week. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Cheese.